Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at ChristFellowshipNC.org. Well, if you would, take your Bibles one more time and turn to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 18 through the end. As you're turning there, we'll be dismissing any children who will be participating in our children's class this morning. Uh, The volunteers are there to greet you if you're going to be a part of that class uh, as you go to be instructed in the Lord's Word in that context this morning. And as they're making their way there, uh, again, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 18 through 25 as we come to this, to the end of this long journey through the book of Hebrews. So let me read our passage for us, and then we will, as we do every week, take a moment just to specifically pray for the Lord's help as we come before the truth of his word. But first, let me read for us from Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 18. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and the saints, Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your faithfulness. You are a kind, generous God. And Father, that would be true regardless of what would have happened as we met together to talk through a merger and pray about it and have conversations about it. Even if it had not come to fruition, you would have still remained a kind and generous God. But Father, we have seen the evidence of your kindness and your generosity and your faithfulness over this past year. We are so thankful for your faithful kindness to us. And of course, Father, more than anything, we are thankful for the finished work of Christ that stands in our place this morning. Even right now, your mercies have been new to us because of the finished work of Christ, because of his perfect righteous life, because of his all-sufficient substitutionary death, because of the power of his resurrection, because he ascended and is at your right hand this very moment interceding for us, because he has sent the Spirit to dwell in us. Right now, Father, you are at work in us. And Father, we plead with you, as we do every single week, to be at work in us 
by the power of your spirit that dwells in us through the truth of your word, that you would shape us and conform us more and more into the likeness and image of Christ. Father, I pray that as you mold us and shape us and as we meditate over this passage this morning, that what we just sang would be the theme of this church, the theme of our lives, yet not I, but Christ in me. May that be the declaration. May that be the testimony of this place. And I pray that this passage would resonate with that truth, that it would, that it would produce that truth in us as we speak it on our lips. So Father, I ask for your help that you would guide my words this morning, that you would um, allow me to speak only what is true of you, that, um, that I would not lead anyone astray, that instead we would be led into all truth. We pray that your people would be helped and that you would be glorified. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today as we celebrate uh, one year together as Christ Fellowship leaves, well, as I mentioned earlier, we're also finishing the only book we have worked through as a church over that year. Uh, we started the book of Hebrews a few weeks uh, before we officially merged. We started in, when we were still having joint services together uh, in April of last year, and here we are uh, in God's providence, finishing this book at the same time we are celebrating one year together uh, as this new church. And my prayer, of course, is that this book, that Hebrews, has set us on the right trajectory. My, my prayer is that we will indeed be a church that exalts Christ by enduring together. May that be, by God's grace to us, who we are. You know, it's just as the author of Hebrews wrote this letter to plead with and to convince these first century believers to remain steadfast, to plead with them, to keep their eyes on Jesus and to not give up on the gospel. I pray that the truths of this book will have done the same thing in our lives, that it will lead us to continually fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. I pray that the Lord will use the call of the book of Hebrews to remind us that there is nothing greater or more glorious in all creation than our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that he would use it to remind us that there is nothing else that we can turn to for our hope, that there is salvation found in no other name but in the name of Jesus Christ alone. And may we always remember, as Hebrews chapter 1 told us, that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. He's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is superior to the angels because he created the angels. He holds the angels together by the word of his power. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the sacrificial system because he fulfilled it. And he, Jesus Christ, became our great high priest forever, completing the work and sitting down at the right hand of God. 
He proclaimed it was finished and he sat down because it was done. And he became the high priest of a better covenant with better promises. And he finished the work of salvation once for all when he offered himself up on the cross. Therefore, the author of Hebrews said to us in Hebrews chapter 12 that we must continually fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise and our adoration. And I pray that this book has laid that foundation under our feet in this first year together. And may we, as the author of Hebrews reminded us time and again, commit to loving one another. May we commit to spurring each other along to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day draws near. As the book of Hebrews called us, by God's grace, may we see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Let us, by his grace, not throw away our confidence because we have need of endurance. And may God, as we saw last week in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, may he grant this church faithful elders who will keep watch over the souls of his people and may he grant us a people who will follow their faithful lead and allow them to lead with joy for the glory of Christ. May the Lord make all of this and more be true of this body of believers until the day he returns. Now notice what we're left saying as we come to the end. Really all we can say is, Lord, please make it so. Right? We just have to plead with him. There's nothing in us, in our own strength, that is going to give us the ability to do, <clears throat> to do all of the glorious things that this book has called us to. And so we're just left pleading and praying and asking God to be the one who would do it in our hearts and in our lives. We're left realizing that if we're going to live out all that we've been called to in this letter, God must be the one who will accomplish it and bring it to pass. And listen, that's exactly what the author of Hebrews felt when he came to the end of this letter also. Right? You see it here. He comes to the end and what he's left doing is simply asking these Hebrew believers to pray for him. You see that in verses 18 and 19. And then he's left in verses 20 and 21 praying for these Hebrew believers, praying that God would be at work in them, equipping them with everything that they need to live for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if these are the prayers for God's people at the end of this letter, then these are the prayers that need to inform our prayers if we're going to live these things out for the glory of Christ. These are the prayers that should shape the prayers of this church as we seek to live in obedience to all that Hebrews has called us to. So there's much that we can learn from these prayers. But before we get into that, I do just want to acknowledge that, you know, that this is a personal letter that the author of Hebrews wrote. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. This is a 
personal letter that he wrote, you see that in verses 22 through 24, he's giving ministry updates and and uh, uh, letting them know that, you know, their brother Timothy has been released and he's going to, Lord willing, make his way soon. He's calling greetings to their leaders and, and to uh, greetings from them and, and, and to them. And uh, you even see there in verse 22, he's asking them to, to bear with what he has written to them. And somewhat humorously, he says, for I've written to you briefly, right? Nothing felt brief about Hebrews. But nonetheless, here's the point the author of Hebrews is saying there's so much more I could have said. There's so much more I could have said to you all. But please bear with these brief words, with what I have been able to say to you. And in the end, what you need, Hebrew believers, in the end, what you need, Christ's Fellowship Leesville, is to plead with God to accomplish these things in your lives. That's what we need. And the main thing I want us to see is that these prayers, the prayer in verses 18 and 19, the prayer in 20 and 21, these prayers are made with an eternal purpose in view. I want you to see how in both of these prayers, the end purpose is about exalting Christ by enduring together. Even here in these prayers, that's what the author of Hebrews is, is driving out. The purpose statements are right there. You can see it first. In, um, in verse 19, I urge you the more earnestly to do this. Why? <clears throat> in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. The author of Hebrews wants to get back to care for the people of God. He wants to get back so he can more effectively keep watch over their souls. And then you see the purpose statement in the next prayer. Why he's praying what he prays in verses 20 and 21. You see it in verse 21, equipping you with everything good that you may do his will. That you may live in obedience to all this letter has called you to. That you may exalt Christ by enduring together as God's people. And he's saying that's only going to happen if we call on God and ask him to accomplish it in us. So let's meditate over these verses and let's learn how these prayers should inform and shape our prayers as we seek to live out the truths of this book, as we seek to be a people who exalt Christ by enduring together. So there are three ways these prayers should shape and inform our prayers. So here they are, and then we'll take time to go through each of them one at a time. So number one, we must pray for leaders to be able to care for our souls Pray for leaders to be able to care for our souls. Number two, we must pray with confidence in God's character. Pray with confidence in God's character. And number three, pray God would give everything needed to do his will. Pray God would give everything needed to do his will. So first, pray for leaders to be able to care for your souls. Look there with me at verse 18. He says, pray for us. Now, it could be the author of Hebrews is referring to a group of people who were with him, but more likely than not, it's just the author using a plural word to refer to himself because we see in verse 19 that he's, the, the, the end goal of the prayer is that he may be restored to them the sooner. It's asking that he might come 
in that first person. So it seems that he's just talking about him. He's asking these Hebrew believers to pray for him. But what's interesting in verse 18 is the reason he gives for that. Why is he asking them to pray? He says, for or because we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. That's in some ways, an odd reason to ask for prayer, right? You, you don't normally ask for prayer when you feel like things are going swimmingly, right? It's pray for me. I have a perfectly clear conscience. I'm, I'm honoring God. I want to honor God. Pray for me, right? So what, what is he saying here? Why is he saying that here in verse 18? Well, it's important to remember what we just learned about in verse 17, right? Last week, we saw that uh, the author of Hebrews is, is calling on the Hebrew believers to obey and their leaders and submit to them as those who are keeping watch over their souls who will have to give an account. And so I think what the author of Hebrews is saying is, look, <clears throat> I'm one of those leaders. And right now I have a clear conscience that I'm fulfilling what I'm calling you to in verse 17, that I am faithfully keeping watch over your souls, that I, that I am striving to honor Christ by teaching you the truth of God's word. I have, I have taught you what you need to hear to help you remain steadfast. So, so pray for me because I'm one of these people that you need keeping watch over your souls. And so you see that connection then to verse 19 when he says, I urge you the more earnestly to do this, to pray for me <clears throat> in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. You see, he's saying, I'm one of these men who have been uh, 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 given, uh, who have been assigned by God to keep watch over your souls. I'm one of them. And so I need you to pray for me to get back to you, to care for you as soon as I possibly can. Now, we don't know what was keeping the author of Hebrews from getting to them as soon as he wanted to. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. It doesn't seem that he was in prison because he mentions Timothy being in prison. Remember, we mentioned that earlier in verse 23. Timothy was in prison and had been released. He doesn't say that about himself. So we don't know what it is that is hindering him from making his way to them. But nevertheless, something is keeping him from getting back to them as soon as he would like to so that he can care for them, so that he can more effectively keep watch over their souls. But his goal, therefore, is to say, I need you to intercede for me. And what's fascinating is that as we see these words from the author of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews who exalts the sovereignty of God over all things, right? Who exalts Jesus as the one who holds the universe together by the word of his power. Who exalts God as the one who is sovereign over all things. Yet here he is pleading with them to pray, right? He is not resigned to some kind of fatalistic determinism. No, what does he say? He says, pray for me so that I can get to you sooner than I would otherwise if you didn't pray. He's saying, Hebrew believers, your prayers are going to impact how soon I can get back to you. Plead with God on my behalf that I can get back to you all the sooner so that I can minister you to you as one with a clear conscience, one who desires to act honorably among you, to lead you well, to care for your souls. So here's the overriding principle of verses 18 and 19. 
you need to pray for your leaders so that they can more effectively watch over your souls and care for you. Now, in some ways, that can feel like a selfish prayer to pray, right? If you're praying for leaders, right? So that here the Hebrew believers are praying for the author of Hebrews. They're saying, God, keep him safe so that he can get back and care for me. That might sound selfish, but it's exactly what the author is calling them to. And it's exactly what God is calling you to for your leaders. It does not feel selfish to us at all as your elders if you pray for us with the end goal so that we can more effectively care for your souls. Right? It's what I call taking the prayer all the way up, right? Taking it to its end goal. So, so here's an example. A just straight up, almost parallel example. One of our elders is on a long road trip right now. It's something they've had planned for a while. He and his wife, they're out on the road. So they're not here today. We all, me included, because he's my pastor too, right? He's an elder of this church. We all ought to be praying for their safe return to us. And we do that, right? We do that. But let's take it all the way up, right? Let's, let's pray like this. Father, will you bring... Floyd and Lisa back to us safely. We ask that you would watch over them and protect them because we need the gift that Floyd is to us. We need him back safely because he's a faithful man with a clear conscience who seeks to act honorably and who wants to care for our souls. We need him here, Father. Please bring him back for our sake. Now, that may sound like a selfish prayer, but it's not. It's the kind of praying God has asked you to pray for your leaders. We as your elders love hearing how you're praying for us. In fact, one of you just a few weeks ago came up to me and, 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 and told me that, that, that you're praying for, for my soul, that, that you and your wife pray for my soul. You, you pray for my, for my spiritual well-being because you told me, you said we pray for your spiritual well-being because we know that, that we need you as our elder to be spiritually healthy so that you can care for us more effectively. Right? That's not a selfish prayer. That's what we need from you. And it's what you need from us. So pray for your leaders. Pray for your elders so that we can more effectively care for you. So that we can all together endure faithfully, right? So that we can all together exalt Christ and endure faithfully together. We need your prayers to help us remain faithful. And as you pray for us to remain faithful, we're able to better serve you and to keep watch over your souls as those who are going to have to give an account. If we're going to live out the truth of Hebrews, we must, we must pray for our leaders. I must pray for the other elders of this church. You must pray for the elders of this church. So pray for us. Pray for our families. And do not hesitate to pray with the end goal so that we can more effectively serve you. We covet that prayer. We ask for that prayer. And that's the prayer the author of Hebrews is calling you to this morning. So number one, pray for your leaders to be able to care for your souls. But secondly, pray with confidence in God's character. 
pray with confidence in God's character. Look there with me as he moves into verses 20 and 21 where he is, it's, it's a benediction, but what a benediction is, is praying for this to be true over God's people. And he says in verse 20, now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now he says a lot about God in that one verse, right? He could have just as easily said, now may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That, that would have been a perfectly fine prayer, right? May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will. But he doesn't just pray to God and leave it at that. No, no look, remember, what, look at what he says here. He prays to the God of peace. But not just to the God of peace, the God of peace who, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, who rose Jesus from the dead. This Jesus, not just any Jesus, this Jesus who is given to us as our great shepherd. He's the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, by the blood that he spilled on the cross. He has become our great shepherd you see, he is defining who God is, who Jesus is, who is this God we are praying to, right? He is calling on the character of God. He is having confidence in the character of God. So why does he say all of that? Why does he pray in that way instead of just leaving it at, now may God equip you with everything good? Because when we pray with confidence in God's character, we are reminding ourselves of the love and the care that God has for us. We're reminding ourselves of who God is and what he has promised. We are reminding ourselves of God's omniscience and omnipotence, that he is all-powerful. And when we remind ourselves of these things, it strengthens our prayers. It makes us ready to pray with even greater boldness than we otherwise would. It, it glorifies God by declaring to him that we know who he is by acknowledging that we're not just not asking for something. No, we're asking for that which is consistent with his character, his purposes, and his promises. I mean, this is exactly how Moses prayed in Exodus 32. Moses has been up on the mountain. It's a well-known story, receiving uh, the law of God, words from God. He's up there. The mountain is shaking. The people have witnessed all of this. And while he's up there, Aaron is behind with Israel. And Aaron decides to craft a golden calf to represent God. And the people fall down and they worship this idol, this golden calf, in an act of absolute rebellion and disobedience to God. And because of that, God tells Moses he's ready to just take them out. I, I, he's, he's done, right? That's, that's what he's communicating to Moses. But Moses steps in and intercedes and prays on behalf of God's people. And he builds the confidence to pray on the reputation in God's name. He says to God, he, he says, God, 
I want you to act in a way that would sustain your glory to the watching world. If you take this people out, then all the nations who have watched what you've done as you've rescued your people from Egypt and then you destroyed them in the wilderness, it's going to defame your name, God. That They're going to look on that and they're going to say, look, he couldn't rescue them after all. He couldn't quite do what he needed to do. And Moses said, don't let that happen to your name. And he prays to God in dependence on the promises that God has already made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He says, keep the promises that you have made. He pleads with God. God, based on God's character, and God responds and says, I will forgive them. I won't wipe them out. I will keep them. And so we must, in the same way, pray with confidence in God's character. You see, here in verse 20, the author prays to the God of peace. This reminds us that God is the one who has made peace with us. We were his enemies, and he sent Christ to die in our place, to redeem us, to adopt us as his children so that we are his enemies no longer. He is at peace with us. Therefore, he is not against us. He is for us. He is working for our good. We are his adopted children. We are co-heirs with Christ. So therefore, we pray to him with confidence because we know he is for us. He is at peace with us. And the reason he is at peace is because he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. That Jesus didn't stay in the grave, but he victoriously rose on the third day, declaring to all that he is the Son of God, the Savior of all who would trust in him. And so we come before him with confidence. And as he rose from the grave, he became the great shepherd of the sheep, the head of the church. He's the one who is our shepherd, who ultimately watches over our souls he cares for us, and he bought us by the blood of the eternal covenant. You see, as we remind ourselves of these things, we don't pray small prayers anymore, right? If he did all of this for us, what is he going to hold back, right? It's what Paul says in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up uh, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul saying, what do you think God is going to hold back from you that you need if he's already given you his son? That's, what's, that's what the author of Hebrews is reminding us of here. He rose, Jesus has risen from the dead. He brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. He has made him your great shepherd. He bought you by the blood of the eternal covenant and he is ready to pour blessings out on you. This is the character of God that we are calling on as we pray to him. And therefore, we can ask him to do radical, glorious things in our life. And so let's look at the final truth about prayer that we need to see. Number three, pray God would give everything needed to do his will. Pray God would give everything needed to do his will. You see, at first glance, this may not seem like a radical prayer. But I want us to just slow down and listen to what is being prayed in verse 21. Now may the God of peace, 
who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. Just pause there for a moment. May he equip you with everything good. Look, the word everything makes this a bold prayer, right? That's a big ask. He is saying, God, give them every single thing that's good. Hold nothing back from them. Equip them with everything good that that you may do his will. That's his desire for you. He's praying not that God will equip them with everything good just so that their lives can be more comfortable. No, he is asking God to give them everything good so that they might live for the glory of Christ. So that they might do his will. You see, this is what we need. If we're going to live in obedience to what Hebrews has called us to, then God is the one who must give us everything good. He must give us everything we need to live in obedience to what he has called us to in the book of Hebrews, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to hold one another accountable, to not neglect meeting together, to spur one another along to love and good works, to encourage one another, to endure faithfully to the end. We are only going to be able to do that if God equips us with everything good that we might do his will. That's a... That's a radical prayer to pray. And how does he equip us? What does verse 21 say? By working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. If we're going to live in obedience to God's word, to the book of Hebrews, guess who has to do it? Jesus has to do it. He's the one who has to be at work in us. Look, this verse 21 is a glorious truth. God commands us to live for his glory. God wants us to live lives that are pleasing to him. In our strength, we cannot do it. But in the overwhelming, abundant grace of God, guess what he does? He gives you everything good that you need. He equips you with everything you need. He works in you so that you can please him. That's an astonishing truth that he's willing to do in you whatever needs to be done so that you can live a life to please him. He commands you to please him and he gives you everything you need in order to live that out and to live a life for his glory and his pleasure. Because of what Christ has done, we can live lives for the glory of his name that please him. Because it is to him that glory belongs forever and ever. Jesus works for your good, giving you everything you need, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight so that you can live for his glory. What a gift from God that is, that you and I can live for the glory of his name. You see, what a profound yet simple, yet powerful prayer this is. This is the kind of prayer we need to be 
praying for each other. Father, please give us everything good so that we may be equipped to do your will. Father, please work in us that which is pleasing in your sight through the power of Christ so that he gets all the glory and that we get none of it. As I mentioned earlier, this is what I call taking our prayers all the way up, right? Let's take our prayers all the way up. Let's pray like that for each other, right? Not just about the simple things of life. Yes, pray about those things, but connect them to this, to these eternal good, this eternal good, these eternal things, these eternal promises, right? Just just listen to the difference it can make in our prayer life. Here's just one simple example. Father, I pray for our friend who's struggling in their job right now. They need wisdom, whether they should stay where they are or look for another place of employment. They just don't know what they ought to do. So Father, we plead with you to equip them with everything good that they may do your will. We ask that in the midst of this struggle, you would work in them that which is pleasing in your sight as you pour out your wisdom into their heart and into their mind. We pray that you would work in his heart to keep his eyes on you in the midst of this trial so that he will faithfully endure through this hardship. Do you see how this can inform the way we pray for one another? to pray that God would would equip us with everything good in the midst of the struggles of our life, that he would work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. You see, we need our prayers to be filled with this kind of eternal purpose because when we think this way, every prayer is ultimately about what the book of Hebrews is about, which is that we would exalt Christ by enduring faithfully together, that he would sustain us, that he would keep us that he would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You see, this is how we're going to be able to endure together, as Dennis mentioned in his testimony, uh, how this church will endure together for the next 150 years if the Lord does not yet return. We must commit to praying like this for each other. And when we do that, we will be a changed church for the glory of Jesus Christ. God will hear those prayers and he will give us the strength we need to endure faithfully as the waves of this world come crashing in on us. As the men have been studying 1 Peter in our Bible study, we've been reminded that the the passions of the flesh wage war against the soul. We've been reminded that Satan is a prowling lion seeking someone to devour, right? This world is against us. The passions of our flesh are against us. Satan is against us. Therefore, the only way we're going to stand firm and make it to the end together is as if we continually plead with God to do it. The only way it's going to happen is if Jesus is the one who steps in and equips us with everything good that we might do his will. And it's only going to happen if he works in us to produce that which is pleasing in his sight so that he receives all the glory. And when we plead with him and pray to him in that way, we will be ready to stand against the fiery darts of Satan. We will be ready to stand firm together. 
And therefore, by his grace, when we draw our last breath, we will have endured faithfully to the end for the glory of Jesus Christ. Look, one of the main objectives of a church and of faithful elders is to help us finish well. To endure to the end with our eyes on Jesus. And so let's be a people who pray this way for one another that we might endure together for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your abundant, overwhelming kindness and grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for this reminder this day of the the tangible evidence of your faithfulness and kindness through the existence of this church, of the unity that you have brought to us as your people coming from two different churches and, and, and the unity as you have continued to bring new people to us. And here we are together as one people under the authority of your word as Christ fellowship leads will. Father, we're thankful for the book of Hebrews and this journey you've taken us on. And Father, I pray that all of the truth that we've learned about the glories of Christ, about his greatness and superiority to all things would keep our eyes fixed on him. Father, I I pray for the elders of this church. I, I plead with you to keep us steadfast, that you will help us to fight temptation and sin in our lives, to put sin to death in our lives. Help us to pursue Christ, to run hard after you so that we can keep watch over the souls of your people. And Father, I pray for the people of Christ Fellowship Liesel this morning. I pray that you would equip us with everything good. That you would give us everything, every good thing that we need that we may do your will. Father, we plead with you to to not shortchange us. We We are thankful that you are not a stingy God. So we pray that you would pour out your goodness and your blessing on us, not ultimately for our worldly benefit, but for the glory of your name. That you would give us the desire to to pursue your word on a daily basis, that you would give us the goodness of of the discipline to come before you in prayer, that you would give us the goodness of memorizing your word, that you would give us the goodness of, of speaking the truth of the gospel to our neighbors and seeing them come to faith in Christ, that you would give us the goodness of love and care for one another. Father, pour out everything good on us that we might do your will. Father, we pray, we plead with you to be at work in us. We want to please you with our lives. And we confess to you that we will never be able to do it in our own strength. So Father, we are thankful that you are a generous God who is ready to work in us, to accomplish the very thing you call us to, to make us a people pleasing to you for the glory of Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory forever and ever. And we pray all of this in the worthy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.